back to another episode of the Shift Trade Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, and I'm back in Indianapolis. We've been on the road a lot lately, and um, there's a lot less alcohol being consumed today than there was <laughs> on the previous episode. Um, but we do have a little tie-in with Beach Bumberry, but we'll get to that here in a moment with... Uh, our guest today is Jason Werfel from Books and Brews in Indianapolis. And are, yeah. are, are you outside of Indy yet? Yeah, yeah. So we have, well, I mean, if you want to count outside of Indy, the, su- the suburbs. Right. Uh, haven't made it out of state yet? Yeah. Well, yeah, we're just opening. Actually, Oxford, Ohio is opening in about six weeks. Um, that's our first. We signed We signed one in Denver, as a franchise. I say we signed one. We signed a fr- uh, but that one didn't come to fruition. That, that was one of the lumps of the franchising world is is uh, just sometimes doesn't work out. Like, they don't even get open. That's one thing I had to learn the hard way. So we were just chatting off mic that, like, you know, there's um, – it's been mentioned on the show a couple of times that um, uh, one of my partners is good friends with the guys from Slayer. So, you know, we'll probably end up backstage at the Slayer show this coming uh, Thursday, which uh, we posted on our Facebook feed uh, earlier in the week to see who's who's coming to Indy for, to, for the Slayer show. But yeah. – um, if I could go back into time and tell 14-year-old me that I was going to be hanging around backstage with like Slayer and Amon Amarth and Cannibal Corpse, <laughs> yeah, I'd Cannibal be like Corpse fucking was... through the roof, you yeah. know? I guess not Amon Amarth because they didn't <laughs> – I had. I don't think they existed back then, but uh, they certainly weren't on my radar if they did. Uh, but, yeah, like – and you just said the same. I said the same thing, yeah. I, well, you know, we all have our moments of – depression and loneliness and isolation and what am I, you know, lack of direction, however, what, you know, all of these things that encompass that and to be able to go back in time and say, look, all the things that you really fuck with, that you really like, like you like to read fantasy books, you're going to be able to talk about it every single day. Cause everyone's going to come in. They're going to feel the same way. You like to talk about beer when well, I had 12 year old me, right? But like <laughs> probably though, probably like, though, every like, 12 year old thinks that like owning your own bar is going right. to be the coolest thing ever. Exactly. Yeah. Same thing with, you know, music and get to meet all kinds of different walks of life of people. And, you know, I grew up in Northern Michigan where, you know, I loved it. I used to say I was from the country and then I realized I'm just from a small town. It's a way different thing. It's <laughs> yeah. a way different I experienced country, like small towns different, but um, where, you know, it was such a, it, it was just a lack of diversity, just not, not just, it was cool though. It wasn't like in a bad way. It was just, there just wasn't a lot of different kinds of people sure. with different ideas. And, and so having a place that is such a melting pot that people come in and yak about everything from books to music, to board games, to, and really endless. Like I know some people like to say, like if you're geeky about anything, but you can come to books and brews, but that expands into sports too. That expands into things you wouldn't normally, like people get geeky about things that people don't t- t- you know, typically think that that's like a geek realm. Right. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, yeah, going back into telling 12-year-old me, I would have been super fucking psyched to to be able to do this every day. Well, that's I used to actually have a roommate that um, I think we were in our late 20s. Uh, yeah, probably mid to late 20s when we lived together. And like every week he would go out and get like the newest Transformer toy that had just come out or <laughs> nice. whatever. And I was like, this, this is fucking awesome. Like, but you like spend a ton of money on toys and shit. And he <laughs> said, uh, he told me that... He said, you know, I always said when I was old enough to make my own money and I could buy my own shit, I was going to buy whatever toys I wanted to. And so I do. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know um, I, I, a, I come from an entrepreneurial family, so it's hard for me to spend money sometimes. But I mean, my wife likes to say that to me all the time. Just, um, you know, people spend money on their hobbies like, you know, and, yeah. and growing up, we're living in, you know, what this is. I think it's cool. I think it's cool that we're in a we're in an era where 
we have this youthification of like you don't hit 20 then all of a sudden you're in a suit for the rest of your right, life anymore yeah. that everyone kind of gets it's to cool live to be out a geek there. now yeah it's cool to be and a it's geek. cool to be young you know yeah we used to be at a point where it was where it was like we crossed some sort of invisible threshold it was like now you're an adult mm-hmm. now you get to never watch cartoons again <laughs> right. you know like now you get to ne- you know what i mean like you can't play video games anymore um but that it, it's awesome and that's kind of i think that's the personification of i mean what i try to do for a living Really? Well, so going back to where you like got started out, because I know you've yeah. had you you had like a pretty healthy sports career before yeah, yeah, like yeah, being yeah. an entrepreneur, because you said you started out in Michigan. Yep. And yep. the reason I said that there's a tie-in, I said because you, your family and yourself are part owners or owners of a just yeah the fa- it was the family business just sold it was the Traverse City oh, it's Beach just Bums. sold yeah we just sold this fall so there's our tie-in from the last yeah, episode Traverse Beach Bombberry and the Traverse yeah. City Beach Bums yeah. Yeah, we started, well, so Traverse City is, is where I grew, I say that's where I grew up. I grew up actually in Cedar, Michigan, which is outside, but nobody knows that. So I say Traverse <laughs> City. And Traverse City is like, it's interesting because- Good cherries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, cherry capital of the world. So my mom's side were cherry farmers. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. My dad's side was- I mean, it uh, is like every single time you see like a brew with like cherries in it yeah, or anything, it's always yeah. like Traverse City, Michigan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of uh, like Cherry Republic is a business up there where you go. They have their own brewery now. It's like every it's like Cherry Porter, Cherry Cream Ale, Cherry like every ice cream, cherry, uh, every anyway. Um, <laughs> same thing with, um, I mean, really anything up there. This is Cherry Capital of the World, as they say. But yeah, farmers on one side, and then Norwegian immigrants tombstone business on the other side. Uh, right just, on. So just full on entrepreneur. My parents, uh, when I, by the time I was born, I was the third of three, and so. Um, hotel industry. I lived in hotels, like small mm. little motels um, growing up. My parents were, no exaggeration. In hotels, so in hotels in Traverse City? Or in Traverse in, City, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to think. I could be wrong, but I'm Grant Ackett's from Alinea in Chicago. I know that he got his start because he was from Michigan. I couldn't remember where he did his internships when he was like 19. And I thought maybe it was Traverse. It could have been Grand Rapids. I could be mistaking my yeah my things, but I, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Neither here nor there. So, Anyway, the the point the point of it is just hotel industry, living in hotels, small town hotels, and then yeah, my parents just is the natural story of, of I think just working their asses off, and mm-hmm. then the timing was right. They took a big chance. They sold two little motels that they owned, got a big loan, bought a couple other ones, smashed them, built a big one, just right in the right timing. The economy was thumping. They crushed it, and then built another one, and then a big corporation came in and bought them out. And it was, it was, it was like a real short window from being like, I live in a motel that has 40 rooms to like, my parents are retired, like, you know, in like, like 10 years kind of, you know, that's interesting because like, we chatted a little bit about this before we sat down today about this kind of, um, upbringing and the way that you think about things going forward and like the consulting gigs and, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, my parents took the jobs, jobs, you know, like, right. you know, they worked the eight to five jobs or whatever. Right. And there was no culture in my family of being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Like, um, that was a total like jump off the deep end of like, I don't know, we'll see how this works out. Yeah. You know, I didn't know how to do anything else, but yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's interesting that you kind of came up in a, in a family like that. Yeah. It's, it, and yeah, it's almost the opposite. I can't even name. And honestly, this didn't hit me until probably, I don't know, six months ago, 
I can't even name a family member that's ever had a boss ever. Really? Like it's just full on. I mean, I, so I went to college and played baseball and I spent a little time coaching outside of sort of like the family ecosystem a couple of years. So that's about it. A couple of summers I had a boss, you know, um, other than that, I just worked for my parents. I went from, you know, picking up cigarette butts in the parking lot in the beach. It was a beachfront hotel. And then to working in the gift shop to renting jet skis. But this is all still family. But like the jet ski business was outside of the hotel on the beach. Um, just basically smelling like gasoline for two straight years. <laughs> worst ever. <laughs> Dealing with shitty tourists. And then and then um, they sold the hotels. And I went to school to be a teacher. Play baseball at school to be a teacher. And after my first year of teaching, they were like, you know, Trevor City doesn't have any nighttime family entertainment. Let's start a minor league baseball team. And I was like, fuck yeah, get me out of <laughs> teaching. This sucks. You, I was trying to think, you you said something. Like that, I totally appreciate all the teachers out there, but thank oh you for God. doing it so I don't have to. You need, it was like, <laughs> it's the same thing. I was a stay-at-home dad. This is flash four. I was a stay-at-home dad for two years. And I feel like this, I feel even more passionately about stay-at-home parents as I do about teaching, but you deserve medals of honor. When I walk into a daycare... <laughs> it's hard enough just having the employees that oh, right? are like 19, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know? When I walk into a daycare and there's 30 kids, I'm just like, oh my God, I, I get, I'm going to have a panic attack in 30 seconds. <laughs> like I cannot imagine uh -uh. like the, the guts it takes. You have to just be wired differently. You just have to. Like I just, I couldn't even, I'm so overwhelmed with it. I always feel like teachers are kind of in the same boat as like uh, immigration attorneys. Like you do it because you love it. You're not doing it for the money. Yeah. You're not doing it for the fame or the recognition. You're doing it because you genuinely believe in what you're doing. Yeah, you exactly. It's like, it's like it's like I'd be like mission based. Like my personal mission is to help these kids. Like, right. And, I, and that's how I came out of school too. I was like Michelle Pfeiffer, Dangerous Minds. Like every kid is my child. <laughs> like, City. yeah, yeah. Well, it start, well, it started out. I did my student teaching in the. Uh, in the, I went to school in Michigan in Ann Arbor, and I did my student teaching in the Detroit public school oh, system. Oh, no, no. nice. And so there, obviously... Oh, Ann Arbor, right. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Yeah, so I, I always really... Forget, see, like my impression of Ann Arbor, I always think I have a good friend... Uh, Mark Passerini that owns a couple of dispensaries there. Oh yeah, but opened much after I think you were in high yeah, school yeah, yeah. or in college. Yeah, but like I always forget, like oh yeah, there's a big giant fucking college there. Yeah, because to me, yeah. Ann Arbor is just like my buddy's place. Yeah, you know, or exactly. last word. Like it's a the, way the different bar. city when the when the yeah when the <laughs> college shuts down. Right. But I screwed up and I didn't put any. You know what? Um, where do you want to have your student teaching? I didn't put anything down, thinking like. The teachers are like, yeah, they need you locally in the middle schools. If you don't put it down, you get like a middle school assignment. And they put me in high school over in Detroit, which was an hour commute one way. And it was not a good school system, put it that way. And and I think it was probably, there's two, I think, perspective building moments in my life. And this was, this was, if not number one, number two, just having six months of having to deal with the type of issues that I've just never seen, ever encountered. And looking at, you know, kids and how you know, just the setbacks that they're already facing. It was one of the the best six months of my life um, and kind of like really digging in and learning about something that you didn't even know existed. And then and then when I moved to Indiana, my wife was in law school at IU, but we're, we're not religious, but she just, you know, she's just a classy lass, I guess. And she didn't want us to move in together before we got married. <laughs> so I, I was living in Greenfield close enough and I got a long-term subbing job because I was still trying to be, um, still trying to play. So sure. I wasn't, I couldn't get a job. I was playing that summer and I couldn't get a job teaching. So I, I found a long-term subbing job out in the cornfields. And so I experienced really like 
you know, I wouldn't say when I was in Detroit, it was like, like where I was, it was like real super, super inner city, but it was definitely, you know, very urban struggle of a Detroit, a, a, just, just Detroit, <laughs> yeah. man. And, I don't think the plight of Detroit is any secret to anybody right. in the country at this point. Right. Maybe, maybe to our listeners overseas, but it was, you know, right, uh, right something that was a life-changing moment in your life. And, and there was a lot of, you know, when my older brother got killed, when my mom got sent to prison, when my sister had a kid, when she was 16, I was, and there was a lot of having to read the motions behind a lot of that stuff that just totally changed my life forever. You are Michelle Pfeiffer. Dude, but except <laughs> that I realized I was like, you know, maybe not for you. Maybe yeah. not for me. Yeah. yeah. But the point is, it's just like, coming out of that situation and understanding just the what where I've been set out is so much you know just I guess respecting having great had gratitude I think it was such a just being able to treat every day with gratitude the other one was when I was in college I I, I did a trip in um down south Nicaragua Venezuela and just seeing the poverty and difficulties yeah. down there and it was the same sort of story but then really when I did my first year of teaching long-term subbing was down here basically in the cornfields out somewhere in Indiana. And it was the same kind of things. It was just the kids are just waiting to drop out so they can become farmers. There's nothing you can tell them. They don't give a fuck about algebra, solve for X, you know, creative writing, sure, whatever right, else. Right. And no one in their family has graduated high school. This is just what we do. This is recess for me. And the work starts when I go home because I'm going to the farm. And so, uh, you know, me being from the small town and having no I guess, scope of experience and perspective of how other people live. Like those, those spots were so huge for me. That's funny that you say that because like, you know, back, I remember being in some of those classes and, and being, um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm a bibliophile. I love reading mm. and, and educating right myself on. about different things. I have a yeah. journalism degree, which, okay. it, which fit well because I, uh, the reason I did well in journalism is because I, I can get really intensely focused on something for about a month. And then after that, <laughs> right. like, oh, dude, that's it. I, I have to put it down and pick up something else. Totally understand. This is how I ended up with more than one restaurant, right? <laughs> yeah, it, wasn't, right. it wasn't some grand plan. It was just me getting like antsy to do something else. It's right? just you. And, but we had like, you know, um, you, you, those kids. And, and I remember my senior year of high school, there's like a, a vocational school. They're like the kids that were going to the vocational school, they would leave at like, I don't know, 1130 or noon or something. So like I had one particular English class, a technical writing class actually, where like literally 98% of the class got up like 10 minutes before it ended and they all left because it was time for them to go to the vocational school um, or the training or whatever it was. Part of the program in my high school. And, you know, me thinking that I'm so smart and better than everybody else at that time, you know, I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, that's where, that's where all the, you know, dumb kids that, you know, don't want to go to college and blah, blah, blah. Cause I was buying into the bullshit, you know, yeah. and, um, of like, you got to go to college if you want to have a career <laughs> yeah, and, all, yeah. and all that crap. Right. And all we did was accumulate debt. And, um, obviously now at 43 and I tell a lot of my younger employees, I'm like, you know, as you're approaching college, like maybe think about not, I'm like, don't tell your parents I told you this, but like my degree's worthless. I mean, you know I mean? Like I pay on it. I, I, it was good. I enjoyed it. It was fun but I don't need a journalism degree to do what I do. Right. You know what I mean? And what I learned how to do, I learned with like boots on the ground and like just watching yeah. other people around me 100%. and working hard. And like all of my most successful friends, including hell, one of my buddies is like a VP for a major telecom company. He high school's it like, and I'm not saying, yeah. you know, again, that college is useless. 
obviously I want my doctor to have well, their yeah, you know, the doctors <laughs> and lawyers and yeah. But I mean, like there's a degree. It's like, you know, you're coming out with a, a liberal arts degree is just as just as powerful as coming out with a psych degree or, you know, um, you know, whatever. A lot of times an engineering degree. Yeah. My I mean, best friend is a, 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 a works for Microsoft, makes a ton of money. Yeah. And uh, his he's a technical writer for Microsoft. I took technical writing with that cat. Yeah. And he had to drop it halfway through because <laughs> yeah. he, he, he was like, I'm failing. I got to get the fuck out of here. And now he makes like well over six figures technical writing. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, I think you owe me something, man. Right. I helped yeah. you get yeah. that job. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my parents, the joke from my dad is you have a college degree, so therefore I better explain it to you twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was because yeah. neither of my parents were college educated. Yeah. They tried to be. So, you know, everything was, you know, it was a very, you know, meritocracy. I think, you know, merit, like, you yeah. get out and work hard. Like, I don't give a fuck like what you had, like what, what does that piece of paper say that, you know, right. like, let's talk it out and I'll find out what you know. That's what I love about the restaurant and bar industry is that it's very merit based. Like yeah. if you come in, bust your ass, pay attention. I mean, you still got to learn, right? I mean, there's yeah. tons of books out there. We still ask you to educate yourself. Yes. We just have a very specialized education. Like you, you've got beer and and all kinds of cool things we're going to talk about here in a minute that people have to learn about to be able to be successful in your company but it's not stuff you can go to college and you know get a degree and like you know knowing 400 styles of beer and like right. you know i mean just now are we starting to see schools developing programs to teach brewers to teach winemakers to teach you know they're trying to make the adjustment because they're realizing like oh shit like we don't we don't have anything that serves really 80 percent of the actual workforce so we better actually find you know my dad you know my dad's quote and again like like most kids push back against my dad my whole life and end up quoting him later in life but it's <laughs> right. you know it's, that's what we all do right, right exactly but it one of the things he always said was yeah you learned everything in school except how to make a living so let me tell you how to do that <laughs> you know and so um, uh, schools, I think, have finally figured it out because they're realizing they're realizing that they're uh, we're we're coming to a time where people have stopped buying into the bullshit. That they're starting to look and go. I think there's enough horror stories in the future of the debt that are going like, oh shit, like maybe I, you know, like I, when I built out Muncie, I paid my plumber $80 an hour. Like how many people right. do you have that I pay 80 Mechanical an hour? services, man. Fucking mechanical services. I've said, man, I fucked up every time I have, because, uh, you know, now with four places, <laughs> there's almost not a day that passes before we have to call our mechanical guy to come out, fix a cooler. Yeah. He's, so he's an electrician, plumber, and, you know, mechanical. So right. he'll fix the coolers. I'm to put him on the, staff before locations, right? Like I've, better, better just put a, give my put on salary. I've offered the guy salary. Yeah, right. He refuses it because he makes, makes too much money, money yeah. to be on salary. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like that. Nobody told me that, yeah. you know? So like when my dad was trying to teach me how to work on cars and all this stuff, yeah. I was like pushing back against it, thinking I was so smart as a, you know, 18 year old. Now as a 43 year old, I'm like, shit, I wish I would have listened. You yeah, know? exactly. I had to learn everything the hard way as most of us do. Well, you know, this is an interesting thing and it's just kind of hitting me now. I think that one of the reasons why is because since everyone controls the media in their pocket now, like right. you can't get over the bullshit that's fed to you. Like you have to do this, you have to do that. Like, well, sure, this is what you're saying, but here's what I'm seeing because mm -hmm. everyone's taking the videos and snapping the pictures and showing the debt. And then you can't be lied to anymore. You can't be told that this is some sort of, because of course, wherever there's real merit, like there is merit in college degree at some level, Absolutely, like, of you course. know, but 
But what happens as soon as there's merit in something, the vultures come in and now there's these for-profit colleges and people trying to just pick your pocket. Like you have to have some sort of degree to get into like you, like for half, I mean, I don't know, I guess I don't, I don't know statistics, but I would venture to guess that 70 to 80% of the jobs out there, you don't have to have a degree to. I would bet more than that. I mean, yeah, right. Like it's, I, I couldn't even think of any job that I've ever applied for. That Where they're like, oh, it. you don't have a degree. Well, I guess, you know. Well, I just mentioned two of my friends, right? Like one guy is with Microsoft, and he didn't get his degree until actually he was already working with Microsoft because they finally came to him and said, we can't, we literally can't, according to the corporate you know, standards, right. we can't give you another raise oh. unless you go back and finish your degree. Yeah. You know? He's like, then you can get more. But like right. at that point, they were like, you've, you've hit a wall until you go back because they require us to do this corporate. And their buddy of mine's you know, a VP, like, they just, but they were the hardest working fucking guys I met. Like that dude, he, uh, shit, when we were in high school, he would wake up at 3 a.m. He'd be in the shower and at work by 4 a.m. And he would open the McDonald's that was near our house. And then at 6.30, he would end his, you know, two and a half hour shift or whatever, come to school. And as soon as he was done with school, he was back in his car and he was back on his way to McDonald's. And we just thought he was insane. Now he's making like God yeah. knows how much money and you know, he's got a big huge house and it's like, oh wow, I guess we should have just been working our asses off instead of, you know, smoking weed and drink, <laughs> drinking whatever beer we can get our hands on. It's probably a little bit of necessity. If you are at a point where you're not hacking school and you have to drop out, like you don't have a choice. So you either figure it out or there's not another option. Right. Yeah. You know, man. so well, the, yeah, like you said, the loans are just crazy right now. So let's let's totally change gears here because yeah, we're yeah, going to end up losing the whole thing. But like, That's so all, right. all these things that you did, you yeah. know, um, it's cool that you grew up this entrepreneurial family, and that ultimately yeah. five years ago led to books and brews. Right. And one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show because, a, I like books and brews. Um, I don't drink as much beer as I do cocktails, but I certainly yeah. enjoy a great, a well-made beer. But total bibliophile and I have a kind of a book buying ad addiction. Yeah. Um, especially with all the cocktail books that come out all the time. Oh, right on. And I just think it's fucking insane. Like, I mean, <laughs> on paper, that's insane, right? Yeah. Like, hey, I'm going to sell books at the, in the time and era of Amazon, right? Where, yeah. Where they're crushing bookstores. Right. And like game stores and all those things yeah. that like happen around this community. You've built a community, yeah. which is wild, you know? Like, I mean, you know, again, you're going back to the 80s and stuff. Like, I saw a flyer in your restroom as uh, on the way out about a D and D night or something. Yeah, I, like, D &D. I just started playing D and D like a couple of years ago. It's hard for me because my group, you know, we're all, all of them are like craft beer geeks and like a couple of guys are like architects and uh, I don't know if you know Jim Dimitri, but no, Jim's you know, uh, and well Josh Hambright from uh, oh yeah yeah okay a, a yeah. Central State. He's been on the show before and he's he was with the group. I had to bow out because of the opening of the Inferno Room, but. Um, I, I wasn't allowed to do that in the 80s because, again, we have a little bit of an age difference. Yeah, there no, was this but sa I remember, Satanism and, scare. Yeah, no, I remember growing up and telling my parents, like, I'm interested in this. My brother had a book. It was one of those big, like, yeah. all, like, the pencil drawings of all the monsters and shit. And I was like, Mom, this is pretty rad. She's like, oh, no, I've heard stories of people killing themselves yes. because of D&D. &D. And, like, I grew up thinking, like, oh, if I play D&D, &D, I'm going to end up killing myself because it's, like, I don't know why. Like, it wasn't, for my mom, it wasn't even, like, Satanism or whatever. Like, she just saw some article or or news story about someone that got so into it that they ended up jumping off a cliff or something. I don't it know. was funny. My mom uh, was over at my house not all that long ago, and um, we were talking about, like, well, I was listening to, you know, I don't know, whatever metal I was listening to. Okay. It was on the turntable, and um, I said, Mom, do you remember, um, 
you know, when you were so afraid of me becoming some sort of like satanic evil demon that I was going to like kill people and all this stuff and yada, yada. <laughs> and she said, yeah. And I said, um, until you wouldn't let me, excuse me, wouldn't let me listen to this music. Um, and she's like, well, you know, well, we, that's what everybody thought back then. All the parents thought. Yeah. And I, I pointed down on my table where I had a copy of Anton LaVey's Satanic Bible. Oh, right, yeah. And I said, so how'd that work out yeah. for you? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was like, so you're doing cool stuff like that here, right? Yeah. I mean, you build a community because those, I, I love the, the comeback of games like, like all well, all the RPGs, but like Dungeons and Dragons particularly, I've seen a lot of people, yeah. and you yeah. you you alluded to it in the beginning. We're seeing kind of this uh, the shedding of shame of geek culture, right? Totally. Like it's okay to be nerdy and geeky right. about these cool. They come things. out of the shadows, come out of the basement or the garage. And like I said, my group is literally a bunch of craft beer geeks. Um, yeah. Like you go into the refrigerator and there's like rare stuff inside right. the refrigerator or because Josh is part of the group, stuff that hasn't even been released. Right. You know, you open the refrigerator, like, oh my God, yeah. you guys have like, <laughs> I have never seen a Dark Lord. You guys have like four in here. And so it's cool that like, those things aren't going to go away. Like as far as like building a community, you, that those are games have to be played in person. Like, right, exactly. You know, yeah, it, exactly. You, it has to be a communal thing. And right. so- the way that you've set up a space, but again, like I said, you know, with the books and things, because the name is Books and Brews. So right. I, I, you know, it's it's hard to wrap your brain around, I guess, initially. When I first heard of your joint, I was like, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, so it's a bookstore where you can get a beer. So I'm imagining <laughs> yeah. like a like a Barnes and Noble, but instead of a Starbucks, right. there's like a bar, totally. <laughs> you know, yeah. where I just walk around drinking a pint while I'm looking at the shelves. Right, exactly. Well, and you know, we get some negative reviews because of that, because I think there are people that want that. They want Barnes and Noble, but walk around with a pint and they walk in and it's so much more startup. It's so much more industrial. It's so much more stripped down, authentic, you know? Um, and so I've gotten better at answering this question over the years, but when people say like, ah, how'd you get there? Is the easiest, I think the easiest way to say it is, you know, I was an athlete, but I was also a geek, you know? All of my activities trended jock world, but all of my interests trended into geekdom, you know? I was into fantasy novels. I was into StarCraft. I was into, you know, video games and, and talking about that kind of shit. And, but I love athletics. I love the idea of adversity and teamwork and discipline and all the things that come with that. So, um, for me, the easiest way I get to say to people is, you know, if I could play guitar and I could get paid to do it, I wouldn't have started books and brews. I'd be singing songs about it. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. like if I could paint and get paid for it, I would have expressed this in a painting but I can't do those things. I can do business because I grew up as an entrepreneur. And so all of this sort of just, you know, I'm not, I'm not pretending that there's no head involved that I didn't strategically think about how things would work out, but, but how things came together was a lot of it was just sort of like a personal manifestation of my expression in an artistic manner. And so, you know, People get weird on the beer or the books or the board games or the music or whatever else we do. And for me, these are all just mediums under the umbrella of the expression that people are just looking for. They're, they're, people are searching and they're searching for a place that people understand them. They're searching for a place they're accepted. They're searching for a place that's going to tell them, shut the fuck up and write your book already. We're sick of hearing about it. You know, how about you get on stage and quit playing in your garage? How about you stop being, you know, in your basement? You come play in front of people. It's cool. We dig it. You can stop apologizing for yourself. You can stop. And so all of that accumulates in all the sort of avenues. And we're in a time where people are so desperate for personal connection that their ears are to the ground. They're just waiting for the opportunity. And so 
it's absolutely niche based. It's absolutely not, and it's, and it's part of the. It's part of the. The head part is is part of the part of what insulates us against the Shark Tank, Mark Cubans of the world coming in and open library and libations next to us. That, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, cause it's coming. That's a great name. Right. Like, <laughs> and we're just going to put in $10,000 leather couches right. and we're going to, you know, blanket everything with a bunch of tchotchkes. And like, you know, I don't think that's a threat because you can't fake. I always use my Star Wars reference. Like Star Wars came out and it was movie makeup and fucking monsters and Chewbacca with the shitty ass costume. Then they went to CGI. Yeah. And guess what happened? They went right back to the shitty costumes again because people don't like fake shit. They just don't. And so anyway, that that's really where, I mean, obviously there's a little more story in terms of like, we'd love to open a bookstore, but that's obsolete. I'd love to open a, a brewery, but I just don't have the cash to, um, compete on a grand scale because sure. because that's where it is. You can either be neighborhood tiny brew pub or you can be huge production facility, and that's where the cash is. Trying to be in the middle is where it's really really. So hard. having said that, so I there we do have a, a pretty wide <laughs> listenership, and some of these people might be in, in England or uh, oh, right Philippines on. or Japan sure, listening. Right um, and so when we say books and brews and we're saying, oh, come in, you know, okay. look at some books, play some games. Yeah. It sounds like we've got some quaint little neighborhood joint, which it feels like a quaint little neighborhood joint, but you've become a fucking force to be <laughs> yeah. reckoned with. Well, like you've got numerous yeah. locations now. Yeah. Um, so what are you up to at this point? We're at eight. Number nine's opening next week in Noblesville. Right. And that's all happened in the last five years. Yeah. Five so that, years. That's aggressive growth. That's the very definition of aggressive growth. And so when you're talking about, you know, you're talking about the sense of community that totally is, uh, every, every location is different from one another and, right. and that the, the community is different. Yeah, exactly. Well, here's th – this is going to sound weird and people – I think people think this is weird. This is more maybe tangible, especially for an international audience. Are you familiar with Second Life? Do you know the – Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was <laughs> We are. We just lost half of them. Did really, we? They're like, okay. what? I don't so know. I don't know. Second like, Life's cool. So Let's go. I know of it. I literally don't know much about it, but I just know the basic concepts and I saw a documentary on it and – and this was, so all of my artistic expression in terms of a place where people thought a place, that's our mission. You know, I'm a big believer in mission-based businesses. We paint it on the wall. We put it on the menus. And, um, but I think I was able to better come up with the concept of a franchise in our generation when I watched this documentary on Second Life. And this was even before I opened the first store. And it was essentially the developers of, of, of this game, an online game that's never closed. Is I think one of the very first, if not the first, kind of open like world, massive multiplayer oh, yeah, right. online, yeah, well, MMO, whatever or, it is, MMOP, yeah, something, whatever. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right. I don't know. So I don't really play them, but, but the documentary, I don't time to play them. Right. <laughs> and unlike, unlike the current ones where you have a world like a Warcraft or whatever, right. Like Second Life started with nothing. It was an island, log in, and people are just like creating themselves and then they start building buildings maybe and then they just figure it out from there. And the idea was that the infrastructure was in place and the rules were in place, but the content was cultivated by the community. And then as you got on, there was people that... That was number one. I thought that was fascinating by the fact that like, okay, here's the place, here's what we're about, but at the same token, like it's up to you. What do you make of it? It's literally a second life. And I thought that was very interesting in concept. Like I said, I've never even played myself before. But um, And then the second part of it was flash forward all the however many years it's been out. I don't even know if it's still going on, to be honest with you. But um, there's, there's a lot of them out there, though, with that same kind of, like, same kind of, kind of like framework, right? Yeah. And so people are so into it that they're getting 
paid to be like a interior designer in the game. They work 24 hours and they they have an avatar and they have a storefront and people pay them cash to design their fake houses. And that fascinated me. But then even beyond that, the the fever pitch of we are 100% digital reality life is that people... And this was kind of like, I guess, before online dating even was before like a big thing, like people falling in love in the game digitally with their avatars, but that couldn't be the end of it. They still had to meet in person. Mm -hmm. And so that blew me away. So like, not only are we creating this world where we have all the rules, not, we don't have the rules, we have the infrastructure and we can do whatever we want, but it still wasn't enough. At the end, we still needed personal connection. We still had to get together to kind of close the loop of, you know, and so that's where like, I so I have two, you know, place for people out of place, but two basic core principles that I realized that not I realized, but I just believe in right. Theoretically is that number one, I just believe that everyone has it in their DNA that they need to belong to something. They have to like, whether it's a group or a tribe or whatever, however you want to call it, a sports team, a fan base, people just, and I don't think that virtual reality or second life is going to get us out of it. I just don't. Yeah. It reminds me of something that we were talked about, um, several episodes ago with, uh, my interior designer, uh, Nikki Sutton. Mm. And she made a comment about when she's designing a space that she's always thinking about, there has to be a, a kind of keystone handmade element because people just automatically reject artificiality. Yeah. You know? And totally. so they, that they, it, 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 it's subconscious. We don't yeah. recognize it, but it just like you talked about the star Wars thing. Like yeah. it was too, Perfect. Yeah. It looked too real. Clone Wars, you know? whatever. Like, and totally, so like, yeah. we, we just, we want the flaws. We need to see yeah. something else. Otherwise it's that, it's totally. the, uh, uh, um, the uncanny valley, right? Right. If it's like too good, it's just, it's creepy. It, 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 <laughs> you know? It's, yeah. When we were first building out our very first st- uh, spot here, which is where we are, we are some, so we're double the space we were when we opened. We're just on the, fr- on the uh, other side here. Uh, my contractors were longtime friends of mine. They're like carrying something and they just got done all the drywall, all the paint. There's kind of carry, help me carry some shit in and they nudged something or smashed a wall or t- took a big divot out of this perfect flat wall that they just got done building. And they're like, Oh, sorry, we'll fix that. And I'm like, don't what the fuck do you think is going to happen? You think that wall's gonna be perfect forever? Like, in fact, like, you know, like the imperfections is what that's like, just like the tables we build, like over time, they look even better. Like all the divots, right. all the, they tell the stories of, Everyone who sat there and, you know, I don't know. Every credit card slip signed. Every time somebody dropped their keys. Every time. Yeah. yeah. It's it's so. So that's number one. And number two, I just really believe the number one motivating factor in the world is is the phrase thank you. I think it represents just acknowledging a person. It represents acknowledging their contribution. And then from a real gratitude area, because everyone gets into, you know, when you're in the hustle and bustle and you have a hundred tickets a night, it's really easy to say, Oh, thanks. Come again. But to really take a second to say, it really makes a difference that you came in here tonight. Like just taking that small change of tone, small second is such a big difference in people because you know, you can say people want money and they want power and they want things, but like there's so many people out there that they just want to be thanked. They just want to provide something and be thanked for it. And so I took that into business and then over time it just sort of organically came. So I, we started here in 2014 and I didn't open my second store very begrudgingly, honestly, in 2016 in um, Zionsville. It was, I just happened to meet kind of a broker and another guy and another guy. And someone says, Hey, come on over here. It's an old grill. And I was like, whatever, this isn't going to happen. Let's check it out. 
I took some of my regulars over to look and say like, please talk me out of this. And they're like, I don't know. You should think about it. And my broker says, well, this is what we're going to ask for. We're going to ask for a bunch of build out money. We're going to ask for a bunch of months free rent. And I'm like, it, like a punchline to me. I'm like, whatever, like go for it. And they came back and like, yeah, they agreed to everything. And I was like, they what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. Time to expand. Now I was like, it was literally an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And so that's how the second location happened. I mean, it's fantastic that you've like seen the growth and the success because again, like the name books and brews and, and be, being a, a book geek, like you're, you're actually lasting. I mean, you can come in and read, buy, play board games, like have beer, yeah. but like beyond that, you've now, you said eight stores, eight stores. Yeah. Nine, <clears throat> nine. So we have Noblesville, Oxford, Ohio, and Fort Wayne coming. So nine, 10 okay. and 11. Yeah. So nine, 10 and 11 on the way, but even perhaps bigger news than that is uh, you mentioned in the beginning that you were really wanted to express yourself, and you—if you were a guitarist, you'd be expressing your <laughs> yeah, geekdom totally, yeah. through music. And if you were, you know, uh, whatever, and if you were a brewer, you'd be expre expressing it through that. And you talked about, you know, building this, and you weren't a brewer, so you had to figure out a way around that. Yeah, but you yeah. are now. Yeah, well, I was, a home, I, was a, I was a home brewer. Yeah, <clears throat> but now there's a deal that you've just recently completed with Flat Twelve Beer Works. Yeah, and yeah. So that's huge. Like you, that, that's a big jump from where you started in 2014 to now. Like I mean, yeah. I, I kind of consider Flat Twelve to be probably the second end on our yeah. giant production wave they in were. Indianapolis, right? Yeah. So like Sun King Brewery, we've had Clay on the show uh, several times. Um, Josh Hambright um, spent time with Flat Twelve, so they've gotten a yeah. lot of shoutouts on the show before. And you're now uh, yeah. the proud owner. Is the that owner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I. I that's a that's a kick ass acquisition. It's it's crazy. It's just crazy. <laughs> I think that. I think that it's. It's really hard for me to quantify. I think. I think that it's just when you have a mission. And you really believe in it, and there's you start with why, and then you go into how and what. Like I think that it just attracts people that believe in you too, and believe in what you want. And so, when we that was it, when we expanded Designsville, now we have two stores, and then that was when we started to get attention in terms of, hey, do you guys ever thought about franchising? Have you ever thought about more stores? Here's a whole bunch more money. Here's a whole bunch more space. And I'm like, oh shit, I better think about this. Um, where do, where's the end game? And so. I had the decision, do I do a production facility because I was out of beer, like two, two locations on a little tiny system we had, like that was, that was maxed out more than maxed out. And, um, or do I just license my beers and I still create space? Well, it's easy when you have a strong mission. I just go back to the mission. Our mission is a place where people thought a place. And so we're about creating places you know, we're not about creating like how much, how much of a without, you know, person without a place can I really serve to open a brewery, a couple of brewers that need a job. But like beyond that, you know, I don't know. So it was good timing. Flat 12 had just sold to a new owner and, um, you know, their, their distribution was dipping a little bit. So they have a facility that is big. And, um, I was like, look, here's the idea. Every time I open a spot, it's guaranteed sales because the beauty of franchising is that I can require whatever I want. So our, our franchise is required to cover or to carry at least half of their tap lines as Books and Brews branded beer. So it's not like, hey, brew my beer for me, and then I hope that we sell it. It's like, hey, brew my beer for me is guaranteed that people mm -hmm. are carrying it. So they jumped on it right away, and they brewed our beer for us for two years um, the majority of it, like the, like our flagship stuff. And we still kind of brewed the specialty stuff ourselves. And then, um, then, so 
we got to a point where we were a large part of their business. And then, you know, the owner and I had become really close and they were having a kitchen changeover and he was a tech guy and he was like, Hey, I think I've taken the business as far as I could go with it. I think it'd just be better with new leadership. Let's work it out. And at first I was like, look, I just, it's too much for me. And then eventually like it took like six or seven months, like doing all the numbers and putting it together. And I was like, yeah, actually this is a pretty, it's as safe a bet as an entrepreneur that <laughs> right, I could possibly yeah, make. Right. It's way safer because, because you take eight stores you already have open and you cut your cost of goods by a third. And then, you know, all, all of those things became, uh, really the, the, the nuts and bolts of how that deal ended up getting done. Um, but it's, you know, I have to shout out to Andy, who's the owner there. I think that he just saw, I think he just believed in the mission. I think there's one thing to say like, Hey, there's a business and it makes sense and the money and the ins and the outs. But at the end of the day, I think we all make decisions based on what we, or at least we get to a point in our careers where, you know, the money starts to matter less and less to a point where it's, Hey, the direction, the mission is really something where we can see blossoming 10 years from now, 15 well, even, years from now. So I'm in a little bit of a different boat than you are, obviously, because we don't franchise out anything like that. Right. <clears throat> so from the beginning, we all knew that we weren't going to make any fucking money. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, <clears throat> so, yeah, there there's that. But it's also like it's still maintaining that kind of satisfaction level of like doing something that maybe somebody else is unwilling to do because it's not as profitable as it could right, be. Exactly. You know, I mean, there's, you know, plenty of, of, of investors and restaurateurs out there that just like, well, what's, what's the, the, the bottom line? Like how much, what's per, the, right. the, the, ROI. the, what's the margin going to make? Yeah. What's the ROI? How fast are we going to recover that? And where we're like, Hey, this city doesn't have a bond me option, you know, right. or something yeah, like the tiki that. Deal. Yeah. Right. And so you just kind of do the things that you're passionate about. Now, like the franchising thing's interesting because you, you've, are now kind of moving into that direction, but you know, how does that tie into like that, the place for people without yeah, a place, so like glad. the community, because you're yeah. not the one in charge right. directly. Right. I mean, yeah. obviously you're inadvert or not inadvertently indirectly, you know, attached to that as, as kind of the top of the heap, but you know, you're not there for daily operations right. to make sure that your operators are actually like connecting the way that you do on your own places. Yeah. No. And, and you know what? I'm not going to pretend like there hasn't been growing pains in terms of that. And certainly we've taken our lumps and we know better now how to either pick or turn down. You know, when you first opened and there's tons of people wanting to do it, it's hard to say no, mm -hmm. you know, but sure. now we know, hey, we have to people that haven't been entrepreneurs before, we got to prep them and say, look, you're going to be working. You're going to be dealing with refrigeration or you know, <laughs> right. shit like that all the time and being able to really use the horror stories to get out in front of it. But when it comes to the mission-based thing, that's the biggest question. What really excites me is that for me, it's really why I even started a second store all the way back to the beginning is like, what's the mission of place? Well, so the definitions of a place and the definitions of the people that don't have that are like any good song, like any good painting, it means different things to different people. So for example, there's how many people out there you know who hate their fucking job? They might make 20 grand more than they would if they did something they loved, but they're tied to it because they have a card that they have a payment on or a mortgage and they they hate what they're fucking doing. Um, and they're just looking for something that they can make a career out of. Well, that's cool. I have a I have a job for them, but I have one store and there's only going to assistant manager because I own it. So, you know, 
that made me feel like I could expand stores myself personally and I could provide like at least some semblance of career opportunity. You could be the GM of two stores. You could be, you know, a social media director and there's a little bit more opportunity. And then when franchising came along, like the definition became in our, in our first franchisee, and I mean, I want to put words in his mouth, but the, the nuts and bolts of it was he was a CPA and he was relatively new out of school, maybe a couple, two, three years, four and I think that there is a wide segment of the next generation that gets their, even we talked about the degree, degrees don't mean shit. Well, even for the degrees that do mean something, the CPA, the lawyer, the right. doctor, yeah. they get in the cubicle, they get in the office and they go, fuck, next 40 years, the scenery is not changing. Right. And it's going to be the same shit every day. And then is, more than that, it's even going to be worse because the regulations aren't exactly easing up. So not only how hard my job is now, but it's going to continue to get worse. And I'm going to see the inside of this cubicle for the rest of my life. And is that what I want? Do I want to be a person that doesn't like I provide value? Don't get me wrong. It's not like a CPA or a lawyer. Like it's not like they're not doing good things for the society, but there's just some people that I think have the fatuation of oh, the my job. CPA is a hundred percent. Like he lives he, to do it. He yeah, loves right, like yeah. if, if my numbers for the year, I'm not shitting you. This has actually happened three <laughs> yeah. years ago. If my numbers for the year are off by 56 cents, I remember this number. Where is it? We he, have he to find it. He spent three and a half weeks looking to see why there was this 56 cents dis, or, uh, variation on his numbers in my books. And it it took him, yeah, I think after about a month and a half, we, we finally figured it out. And that's, but, but that's a passion for like, right. like, he didn't do it because his mom said you should be an accountant. Exactly. Or just, you know, I think a lot of people get this sort of end goal like, hey, I'm going to be professional. And that's whatever that is, doctor, lawyer, whatever. Sure, right. And then when they get there, it's like a dog chasing a fucking fire hydrant. They're like, what do I do now? And then they look around going, no shit, this actually isn't for me. I don't have a passion for it. I don't give a fuck where your 56 cents are. <laughs> right. you know? like, I'm just going to push it through and hope you don't get audited. <laughs> and uh, that's that's where we can be, you know, hey, we can liter we can provide you an opportunity where – Let's be honest. You're not going to make millions of dollars, but you're going to come to every work work. You're going to come to work every day, loving what you do, talking about fantasy novels, talking about Harry, everything from Harry Potter to the Grateful Dead to you know what D Dungeons and Dragons, what the next big board game is. You're going to connect to a community. You're going to learn first names. You know, I think I think it was Carmel's first anniversary party that I think really hit me. And a lot of this is almost like 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 tears streaming down. My my face type talk, but I was there for the first anniversary party and Alex is, is the name of the franchisee there, Alex and Lori. And so Alex is, you know, mainly Lori's a nurse, but Alex runs mainly as the full-time operator. And it wasn't just that people came around and knew his name. It was during the world series and someone comes around and starts giving him shit because um, the Cubs had lost. And it's like, that, there's a whole other level of knowing the person being like, hey, that's Alex. Hey, Alex likes the Cubs. Hey, I'm giving shit to Alex because the Cubs lost and haha, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. Like that to me was such a poignant, like full circle moment of here's a guy who's created his own personal community. And I've provided that place for someone who didn't have a place. He was a CPA. He didn't have any of that shit. He didn't have anyone that's coming and giving him shit about, and he's monetizing it. He's monetizing it and he's, and he's, and he's making a living off of it. And, um, like there's, there's nothing, there's nothing better 
than, than that feeling, you know? Well, you've gotten not only into that as far as the franchising, but so we, we talked, we didn't really talk in depth about your, your concept in general, but obviously yeah. there's gaming. We've, we've alluded to the, the gaming, the books, but you know, right. you're also booking music. And so you've kind of got all of these things circling around, which kind of leads me um, as, as we wind down here today is that you, we, we're talking a little bit about before the show is that you're yeah. also getting into like other media outlets, right? Like, right, yeah. cause you've got like podcasts and you've got this yeah. kind of like network that yeah. you're like, you, yeah, I think that I'm a busybody. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Maybe it's just the, the years I have on you. I don't, yeah, might I don't be, have yeah. the energy, but I mean, we started about the same time as entrepreneurs. I, I was 32 yeah. and you were, said you were 33. Yeah. Um, I'm just six years farther down. My feet hurt more than yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I just really love what I do. And I think that providing platforms for people that wouldn't normally have them, you know, this is this is mixing the stories. But for example, having a guy, we have a guy who comes in who's like a Salesforce executive or something along those lines, right? Who has this sick ass guitar that all he's ever done is just rip you know, licks in his basement and he comes up on stage and he just pushes the microphone away. And all he does is just shred blues for like seven and a half minutes and everyone stands on their feet and applause. And he comes off stage and he says, I've never played in front of anybody, <laughs> you know? And, and then on top of that, the second number one, that's amazing in a, in a vacuum by itself. And then he says, this must be your moneymaker, right? Like, I know you got a lot of shit going on here, but this look at the rooms full. Everyone's into it. It's a it's a it's a attentive audience. It's not just musicians waiting for musicians to play. Right. And um, and I was like, this guy doesn't even know that two days ago there was forty Dungeons and Dragons player eight different games. He didn't know that you know tomorrow is going to be a book club of twenty in here. He doesn't know that on Friday we got a bunch of craft nerds coming in to taste the next vanilla chocolate triple hazelnut porter or whatever <laughs> shit we got. You know? right. Like, and all of those crowds don't even. And What's so, the new thing? The pastry porters yeah, or right, right, right. pastry <laughs> fruit, cherry, vanilla, juicy, whatever. And as a marketer, I'm into all that. But like, you know, <laughs> it's you know, to each their own. So, but um, you know, the point the point of it is is that there's so many niches that people go deep with. I'm I'm a big believer in in depth versus width in terms of audience. So getting people and looking at lifetime value versus like the number of tickets and developing those relationships. I think you just win over the long run. And so when it comes to like the media style of things, I was it was actually it was actually this hit me with my um, my relationship with the Andrettis. So I got super lucky where I think this is an example of both things, both where I'm going and like the proof, like the proof of what I've done is that um, so when I, when I bought flat 12, one of the things that I've been telling them for a little while was, you know, like not to be super critical, but you know, you're a racing theme brewery and the brewery kind of looks like as if you walked into books and brews and there were no bookcases and, <laughs> right. and none of the beers were named after books. Down, stripped down. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's just, oh, that's just our name. It does, you know, but the, but all the beers called like Jason's Porter and John's and it's like, so we need to, so my quote in the paper was we're going to double and triple down on the racing theme. So, um, a woman named Amy Lyles sees that and shout out Amy. So she happens to be a mug club member in Zionsville who was headhunted by the Andretti's from the Cleveland Cavaliers who picked Zionsville because there was a books and brews there that went there and felt community and joined the mug club. And, and then as soon as she saw that and followed me on LinkedIn, and as soon as she saw that, she called me right away and said, Hey, you know, I'm the VP of marketing and Jared Andretti, who's a sprint car driver and he's trying to get to IndyCar next year. 
Um, we're looking for sponsors. We're looking for light. What, and so there, all of a sudden, I'm in Andretti just because of. You know, you're killing us here, right? Yeah. So, like, <laughs> for like three fucking years on this show, I've been for, like trying to like let people know that Indiana is not just cornfields and racing. <laughs> and you've mentioned You've mentioned teaching in cornfields, and now your deals with the Andrettis. <laughs> well, so, I mean, to backtrack, it's, yeah, the music, the board game. I mean, it's, it's every. I mean, I think that's um, the beauty, like the crossroads of America, right? Like, yeah. Like, that, that's the strength. But like everybody's here, and I think, and I think that's what the basis of Books and Brews is that it's, it's, it's like it's not it's not vast market appeal, but it's really deep niche appeal across all of them. So anyway, like the Andretti thing happened, and John Andretti, who is um, just like the coolest dude, and I, I knew we hit it off right away because you could just tell these are just like everyman people, right? And I'm like, oh, this is this is totally. He said, you know, we're a marketing company that races. That's what we do. Like we race cars, but we, but all the rest of the time, we care about promoting the people that support us. That's it. We we support you, and it's it's like it's like, and I and right there it hit me. He's like, as if Peyton or LeBron or Roy or Andrew didn't get paid by the Colts or Pacers. They had to go out and personally get sponsors. And then as soon as they won or lost, it didn't matter. They had to go out and do the appearance and do that. And I was like, man, this is such a great model. And I started to think about, you know, from our perspective, I started thinking about all the niches that we touch. And I thought, here's the angle that we're going to keep moving with because we're like, we're, we're just good at it and I believe in it and I love it that we're going to, we're trending down the path of being essentially a marketing company that also does music and games and boards. And so we're, we're digging into all these niches from podcasts to blogs to stuff like this. Like how many podcasts can I be on? How many blogs <laughs> right. can I write for? How many Instagrams can I get out to? How many people I can touch? And we're in a spot now where if you haven't felt it as a business owner, all the fortune 500 500s are going to start pricing out the advertisements on social. So the migration of trying to get people from social to personal network connection. And I was starting to talk about that with you. Like that's how it started with you meeting people and meeting the chefs and mm -hmm. then getting into your business partner. Cause you own those relationships. You don't own your fan base on social like Budweiser and, and JP Morgan and all these, they, they can come into social tomorrow and dump in a billion dollars. And all of a sudden your CPM is going to jump from 10 to 50 and you're not going to be able to set an ad again. It's just never going to happen. So, so I see all of that as not only going deeper into the markets, but also to the point of when you start to franchise, all of a sudden now we have the corporate speak now, like the full <laughs> funnel from awareness, like a podcast, all the way to the sales. So if an author says, hey, I want to get my word out there, it's like not only can I am I an advertising company that says, yeah, I have 5,000 Facebook in Zionsville and Brownsburg and 20,000 in Indy, and I have... <laughs> But I also have that all the way to the sale. Like I've touched these customers. So not only can I have awareness, but I'm also on site and I know the names of the people and not just broadly, like independently, all the way down to Fort Wayne, all the way down to Oxford and then doing like, what's the macro scale, right? Like eventually the guy that shreds in the blues guitar, all of a sudden, if you're playing at our stage, you're not playing in front of 50, you're playing in front of 50,000. And then we start, you know, of course, we're dreaming big now, right? Like, <laughs> now we start a label. And then now the people that are just a dude playing on a stage has an album of Books and Brews Open Mic Live that they can buy online, and that's worldwide. And then the person that writes the book sitting at our bar who can't find a publishing company 
we have a publishing company and we can spread it out to every community that we touch. All of a sudden, the person that has the board game that's just withering away somewhere in Indiana, it's the best fucking board game you've ever played, has a launch platform that we can finance and get to 50, 100, 200 different communities. And so that's sort of like the rolling machine as we sure, see it. Right. You know what I mean? So have you actually been diagnosed with ADD? Or yes, is it I have. Okay. Have you, have you, have no, you listened no. to anything? Oh my no, God. Right, it's, so, like, yeah, it's so funny. I was like, you have a thousand ideas and they're fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Like, I mean, but yeah, like this is where oh I, my got, God, where so I get in trouble where I was like, I want to do that thing and I want to oh, do that dude. thing and I want to do that thing. And Are I you ADD too? And I, I don't think so, but I guess yeah. now I'm hearing you. I'm like, I don't Wrap know. It up. Okay, like, I'll give you my story, yeah, right? No, maybe I need to go to talk to somebody you and should. be like, do I have this issue? You do. Like, because, well, <laughs> I, I found that I'm addicted to projects. Yes. Like I, I need the projects, right? You know, where I'm like, okay, we, cause we opened Slam and then I got, like, yeah. we got, when we, it was several years before we, we got to our second location. And then once I got that, I think that's where I got the addiction, where yeah. I was like, this is fun. Like, the build-out's yeah. fun. The creation. And you just want to be done with the build-out because all the headaches and, like, yeah. the fucking plumbers don't show up and they're supposed <laughs> yeah, to and all that right. shit. And you just want to be open and do the thing that you do, right? Yeah. Like, we're, we're operators. We want to operate this place. And then you start operating, and then comes all the equipment breaking, the people no-showing, the people <laughs> yeah. coming in late, the attitudes, whatever. And then... You're like, ah, I just want to go back to the the project part, like yeah, building the project. Building. And then That's you know, the a, a, a year passes and yeah. you're like, cool, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Like, it's like you know, it's like a tattoo, right? You like yeah. do one, you're like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. That's why I don't and start. Before That's you why know I have it, no right? tattoos. Yeah, right. If I start, I'm serious now. If I started tattoos, I would be fucking there can, wouldn't be an inch of skin left. I mean, that's what you, you you're <laughs> looking at me, right? Like I, I just I know better. I wanted one. Yeah, I wanted right? one yeah. like three inch tattoo. Yeah. And now I've I'm I've got I don't even know at this point over two hundred hours of tattooing on me. Yeah, and so like I, I get that like that like addiction to projects and it yeah. sounds like you've I mean you're just getting started you're 38 years old you got yeah, plenty yeah, of time yeah yeah and so uh, how do people find you on social media how can they find you personally or the or books and bruises themselves yeah so so everywhere so obviously flat 12 beer works and then all the books and brews every single store so whatever city we're in Carmel Brownsburg Muncie we're on Mass Ave we're in Broad Ripple we're at South Indy which is so is there like any general like books and brews account yeah just just books and brews that's all it's called just books the letter n brews is at um facebook we're books brews on twitter because some asshole already had books and brews dude same shit with shift <laughs> drink but we don't really use twitter anymore i think right. trump kind of killed twitter for us it was no, like dude, i'm gonna tell you I it's love, so caustic on twitter I, I no but here's the here's where i think people miss twitter and I, i'll go super deep dive if you want me to but the difference is, is advertising impressions cost money because you have to first put a thing out and then people have to come to it. And then, then you can start the conversation. Here's the difference. If you have a store in Fountain Square, you can go on Twitter, hit the search bar, enter in Fountain Square, and every single mention of Fountain Square from now until right. the span of history can come up. And you can take your message to people. Be like, if people are like, hey, traffic's bad in Fountain Square, be like, yeah, I totally agree. Make sure you check out the parking structure over at Virginia. You can Well, take- that is interesting because that's the only time that I am on Twitter. So like even my personal account and our shift drink account, yeah. which was also taken by somebody already <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, that's the only time I get on it is when there's something going on that I, I'm not going to be able to get like local news on it quite yet. Like right. there's, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck now. in traffic. I have no idea. I can right. see flashing red right. lights in front of me. So I'll get on Twitter What's like happening? accident, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then like on Twitter, of course it hits all those keywords. Cause it's, it's conversation. I mean, we saw that, you know, with the Arab spring, you know, where like you got instantaneous updates via right. Twitter, but like personally, well, A, I'm long-winded. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you, bro. <laughs> right? Yeah. And B, like, it just, you know, uh, so that, like, the character limitation, I know they've expanded that since then, yeah. but it just got so caustic on Twitter that yeah. um, in my <laughs> my training was in visual journalism and oh, photography. Right. Yeah. So, like, 
I, I love the platform of Instagram a lot more. Uh, Facebook yeah, yeah, is yeah, kind yeah. of, I think, a dumpster. Well, it's a dumpster. That's it, what I call uh, it. Facebook at this point is now like primarily people like our age or older. Right. That's why I love the the current uh, trending meme right now is like I'm bl- ex- old. Like I'm. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm like you know whatever. Uh, Teddy Ruxpin old. I think right. I saw that <laughs> yeah, yesterday. I love Teddy Ruxpin. Right. And it's like uh, it's like okay, but I'm like this is literally like just like exemplifying how the demographic has changed to Facebook so dramatically. Yeah. Like, it's like, Oh, you're talking about how old you are. Like that's, that's it. Like it's the, your whole fucking feed because everybody on Facebook is old. And so, and also the way that you've lost the uh, p- potential to reach out to your kind of fan base or, right. yeah. or a uh, client base when it comes to the restaurants. Right. And so well, we might put um, articles up every now and again, but primarily we're using Instagram until they kill yeah. that because now the Facebook owns Instagram. Yeah, but what Inst- already they're burying, you know, yeah. like your, your kind of timeline. I have the great tip on this. If any small business people that are listening, the reason Instagram is the number one, first of all, Twitter searchability, whatever small community, like we're opening Noblesville, I told them search Noblesville High School. You'll find every single mom, every single parent, every single kid, and like all their posts and talk to them. Great job tonight. Go. Miller's can't remember what it is, whatever it is, <laughs> right. you know, but like, I'm telling you like the EQ of that is huge. Okay. That's number one. But the reason why Instagram is a huge thing is for direct message. And because the DMS on Instagram, unlike Twitter, you don't have to follow each other. You right. can DM anybody. True. And, but here's the reason why it's so great is because it's not clouded is because you can't DM on a laptop. You have to do it literally with your thumbs on a phone and that ages out half of the bullshit. So mom and dad are not, they might be on there, but they're not DMing, Right. you know, all the spammers might be on there, but they're very rarely DMing or if they are, they're getting caught in like the spam filter request thing. Sure. So that's where if you want to contact whatever business you are, if you want to search your area, your hashtags, number one, everyone is giving up the privacy now. So if you search hashtag Fishers, Indiana, hashtag whatever city you're in, you find all of them. You find people that are micro influencers and you say, here's a free sandwich. Here's a free drink. Here's a, whatever you can just come in and Instagram it. That's all I want. And then all of a sudden now you own the conversation. You don't own advertisements, but now you have, you, you develop the conversation with that person. Maybe it leads nowhere. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe they become a regular and spend $2,000 a year with you. Or at the very least they come in and put a picture and then someone else sees it and then they become $2,000 regulars with you. But DM is, that's why DM is where it's at right now. Cause you got to do the fucking work. Yeah. You're Everyone right. Everyone wants to do it real easy. Set an uh, ad. And- yeah. Yeah. There's no like automatic. And that's what I like about Instagram is that it's all of the automation. It's, it's out there, but you can call it immediately. Like when right. you see the, 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 the comment that doesn't really have shit to do with yeah, your photograph, right? right? Exactly. Like, like nice pose. <laughs> love your feed. Right. Like, you love you your know? feed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, the, the, the bullshit's there, but like, it does allow me to like interact with the listeners, you know? And that's why I know that we have people listening from the UK and the Philippines right. and Japan totally. and Canada and Venezuela and Argentina. It's, it's crazy that we've got that kind of reach and that, I mean, obviously we're living in a fucking fantastic kind of time frame where yeah. that's possible, right? Like, I mean, because when you and I were growing up, we were literally, D&D was the video game. Like, yeah. we couldn't afford the console. So. No, is that Commodore 64? Came, oh, you know, man. Like, uh, Wolfens, the first Wolfenstein. Oh, that was amazing, like, too, uh, man. It's like gr- the original Grand Theft Auto is like straight down, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shit, man, when I was in elementary school, we had like one Commodore 64, I think, in the school. Oh, yeah. And like, I, there was a, there was games for it, but they were like the five and a quarter floppies and like... Yeah, I didn't Math ha- Muncher, I, did, I didn't have Oregon one, Trail. Right? I didn't have the, uh, the computer, but 
I had somehow convinced my like seven year old brain that I was going to save up enough money to buy one. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah. and like fucking whatever year that was, right? Like, like 83. Right. Well, where was I getting money? <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Yeah. But I did have a little bit of like lunch money. So I would like not eat lunch when I went to elementary school. And I'd save my lunch money and like go buy like a five and a quarter floppy disk <laughs> to copy games onto from my buddies. Yeah. Cause I thought I was so convinced I was going to be able to afford one of these computers. <laughs> And then one day my mom found all that shit. We're like, what in the fuck is this? You're not been eating lunch? I'm like, I'm going to get that computer. Never did. Never did have one. Oh, man. Never, never got it. But hey, that's why we're kids now. Now we can afford a Commodore 64 yeah, for much right. less. <laughs> yeah, much less. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there any personal uh, social media that you are? Are you just pretty much books and brews? Pretty, is that pretty much books and brews, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm moving more towards the personal branding shit. But yeah, Jason Werfel, W-U-E-R-F-E-L. I'm trying to figure out what the email address I use for Instagram to log back into it. Uh, like, yeah. I, you know, I, I like I've been some books and brews for five years. I'm like, I should probably do the personal thing again, but I'm seriously just can't even figure out what email I use. For I can't figure Twitter out and, that if my life's interesting enough for anybody to give a flying shit about, you know, like my, my Instagram feed is honestly like turned into, and it's been a, mentioned in a couple of episodes. Um, I have a, a green wing McCall that loves to dance to hip hop and, yeah, and, yeah. and stuff like that. And she's got, she went viral last year. So nice. it's like, like 5 million views and social wow. media. It's insane. But now I have these people that I, I'm, that I'm not really, um, that I, I don't know. I have no connection through the podcast. I have no connection right. through personally that are commenting on my life. I like yeah. just my boring shit. Like here's the hamburger I ate for lunch today. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, we want to see more of your bird. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, who the fuck are you? Like, yeah. I mean, like, okay. Okay. But this my life doesn't revolve around my pet, right? You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very weird. It's my personal account, and the separation between personal and business is is very blurred, right. as, like you alluded to. Totally, I mean, it's when you are what you do. Exactly. When you're an entrepreneur, it, I mean, this is literally a personification of me, right? Which I think that we're really lucky to be able to be what we do. Like, yeah. some people become that Extremely out, out lucky. of uh, kind of uh, force. You know, you just yeah. you know, it's that whole like. American ideal of like, so, you know, what do you do? Like, you know, I think there was a quote in the movie Barfly uh, about Charles Bukowski where he's like, somebody wrote some rules somewhere, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing at this yeah. point of, you know, like where everybody's got to be something, everybody's got to do something, you know, right. like, what do you do? It's like, get so fucking tired of talking, of <laughs> yeah. thinking about the things that I don't want to do. Right. You know, and I think that we're lucky enough that we, we actually get to do what we want to do despite all the fucking headaches that come day to day. Yeah. Well, it's just the process. Just like I said, if you ever get to the end, you won't even know what is, you don't even know what the end is. Right. There is yeah, no exactly. End. I'm like, That's you know, we all no go end. into this with a bullshit business plan that they all want to see oh, bro. when you're borrowing <laughs> yeah. money where it's like, you just know, burn what's, it. what's your exit strategy? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, right. Burn it. Yeah, <laughs> but you can't it. put that in there because no. then they're like, you're joking, right? And like, of course, of course, we're going to uh, market it and we're yeah. going to, <laughs> right, like, yeah. Yeah. this demographics <laughs> and these right. things and you're like, I'm all radius and all this bullshit, you know, you're like, no, I'm going to lock the doors and walk away. Well, Jason, man, this was awesome having you on the show and I'm glad we We'll finally connect and right um, thanks for the beers. Um, yeah. That was fun, man. Kick ass beers. And like, obviously, we've got, we will have to have you back on the show. There's a lot to talk about. And you've got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, that, thanks. Just uh, Nano Brew Network, we're starting out. We're trying to hit as many niches as we can, just talk to as many audiences as we can. Nano Brew Network, talk a little bit about that before we wrap up. Yeah. So, Nano, we started as a Nano Brewery, which is loosely defined as three barrels or less. We, we, we have a one barrel system and we like almost tried to kill it to do two barrels at a time. 
And um, so we always say, my, my big thing is doing business on the nano scale. Like as, as big as we grow, it's all comes down to like one interaction at a time, right. one sentence at a time, one word at a time, and just trusting the process that putting that good energy will pay off in the long run. And so tethering ourselves to that. So the Nano Brew Network is that sort of thing. You know, we're doing multiple podcasts from sarcastic sportsmanship, which is talking to people like uh, my buddy Brian Sweeney, who's also a published author. He's coming to talk about he coaches youth rugby football and, you know, all the way up to uh, my buddy, Justin, who's a social media. He's doing a podcast called That's the Joke, where he's bringing in a bunch so of- So this is all on the network. It's on the network. It's all us. It's all the same people in so a lot of the shows. Is there a website that like, has kind yep. of the uh, list everything? Just started it, nanobrewnetwork.com, just like it sounds, N-A-N- brewnetwork.com. <laughs> and uh, so we'll start posting them all there, posting them all on our feed. And then we have a, a the Books and Brews community blog, if you Google that, and we're mixing all of that together. And I think, I think with social media starting to shut down by the advertisers, I think we're going to have the renaissance of the uh, website. So a lot of it is migrating people to our website and our newsletter and our blog and our podcasts and and that type of thing. So, so that's, cool. that, that's where you can find a lot of our a lot of our shenanigans. We call it small business shenanigans. You know, awesome. So. No, it's always a great resource for a lot of people out there. There's all we get a lot of questions. I get a lot of questions all the time. Like, how do we do X, Y, and Z? And yeah. and I, I I I'm very hesitant to ever give anybody business advice because I feel like I've been. I've been very lucky. I mean, I worked my ass off, but that's it. There's Number also one, like, end the sentence there. Work your ass off, right? Work your ass <laughs> off, and 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 try enough things that eventually something uh, you you come across the right opportunity. You right? Know? I'm like, yeah, don't get don't, stuck with that thing. This doesn't work, but I'm going to keep doing it over right, and over yeah. until I go out of business. You, you don't know if you don't try. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, that was a thing. So uh, again, hey man, thanks for coming on. Check out Nano Brew Network. Check out yeah. Books and Brews. Yeah. Flat check 12. out Flat Twelve. We got Turn Three Chicken and Waffles, and we got that now down at Flat Twelve. And talk about that. That's no big this deal. This is be a big month. For you, you got the Indy 500 yeah. coming Indy 500, up. Indy so. 500, Jared Andretti, our Jared Andretti beers coming out. Awesome, yeah. man. Well, we're definitely going to have to touch base back with you. Maybe Check after out the Adderall. 500. It'll be the most chilled out. <laughs> this is no. This couldn't be more of the opposite um, episode than our last one with with Beach Bumberry because. Uh, yeah, I think we were, well, we were completely lit before we hit record. <laughs> um, neither one of us actually remember recording that episode. So, uh, again, I, I don't plan on making that a habit, but hey, you know, if, uh, if royalty like, uh, Jeff Barry wants to pour you a couple of bottles of rum before you hit record, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you, you do such a thing. So, uh, again, thanks for coming on the show Thank and we'll, you. uh, we'll link back up with you soon. Yeah, right on. Thanks, actually. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, yeah, that first Here's a funny album. story. Um, so last year at Rook, um, my bartender, was, there was just a bartender and a server on the bartender 
looks over the server and she's like, hey, your guest at table two looks like some sort of like discounted Gavin Rosdale. <laughs> and the server's like, that actually is that Gavin. Is <laughs> it's just been a few years since we've seen uh, him. Yeah, right. Yeah. I was like, oh, you should have gone up to him and said like, hey, man, <laughs> Do you I'm ever a get huge this? fan of Constantine. <laughs> like, just totally ignore the Bush career, right? You know? <laughs> oh, man. That would have been a great, great obscure reference. But they were just like, oh, my God, that really is him. 